actually try to do that before I come up here. Okay, um, so anyway, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Um, and you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to go ahead and read uh, 933 through 37 as well. Uh, and that'll kind of bring us up to speed on this passage. So let's pray, and then we'll read this uh, and talk about it for a little while. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, please give us receptive hearts to it. Help us to be thankful for it, Lord. We're not always uh, maybe where we should be or where we want to be uh, with you. And maybe sometimes, maybe right now, we sense in ourselves um, uh, a lack of desire for you and a greater desire to uh, find satisfaction elsewhere than in you. Uh, and we need you to bear with us in your great love and patience and your mercy. Uh, we need you to teach us about yourself tonight. We pray that you would do that, Lord, with whatever we've brought to the room now, um, that you would bring your gospel to bear in our lives in whatever that may be for each individual here. Please uh, show us clearly um, how to live, how to think, how to feel, and, and most of all, show us Christ, that we would be conformed to his image and that we would hope more and more in him, that we would trust him more and know him as he is, um, friend of sinners and savior and our teacher. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, okay. I'm going to start in Mark 9, uh, and then I will quickly come over to where you guys are in Mark 10. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, by way of illustration for what we're going to be talking about tonight, I'd like to tell you all that 
not long before I came in here, I realized that there was a little bit of dirt in the water I had gotten at the rot. And so I'd been sitting with Devin, and I quickly, I thought, you know, my friend Devin, now there's a servant. And so I texted him, and I said, Devin, will you please bring me some hot water? My cup was dirty. And you know what happened when I walked into this room a little while ago? Devin followed in shortly afterward with a cup of hot water for me. Um, Jesus said that if you give a cup of cool water to someone, it will not be forgotten. But I'd like to say that that also will not be forgotten because Devin served me. Uh, So we're talking about serving people tonight. Uh, Thank you, Devin, for letting me do that at your expense. Uh, But actually, he did. He actually did bring me water, um, and it was kind. Uh, So we're going to be talking uh, primarily about serving people. But I think some of the uh, questions that that answers for us, right, that we get from this text in particular, are going to be these. Um, How do we relationship Yes, I said that how I meant to. How do we relationship? How do we lead? And is grace really free? Okay, so James and John come to Jesus with these questions, uh, or with this question, uh, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left. I know there's no question mark in the text, by the way, but like they're making a request. You guys see what's going on here. Um, and so they're making a request of Jesus, right? Uh, in In Luke, I think it is, or maybe it's in Matthew, uh, their mother comes with them to make this request. Um, And she asks that her sons would be able to sit one at Jesus' right hand and one at his left in his glory. And I think it's important that we see what are they asking for. They are themselves asking for glory. They're asking for glory. They're asking for positions of honor beside Jesus' throne. So to sit on the right hand and the left, you know, this isn't like uh, judging and the sheep are on the right hand and the goats are on the left and like one goes into eternal life and the other to eternal damnation. No, like to sit on a throne and have two people beside you on either side, uh, it's like an extension of authority. It's it's an extension of power and position. And so these would have been positions of honor. and in this culture, honor is an important thing. Um, shame is maybe making a comeback in some ways in our culture, but honor is not so much, right? We don't think in terms of like social position in regard to our family or um, character, not in the same way that they did, right? Or religious status or something like that. And so on the way there in, in Mark 9, what we read, which is a passage which relates to this, on the way to wherever they're going, right, they're arguing about who is the greatest among them. Right, and they want to know who's going to be the greatest in this new economy of power that they suppose Jesus will bring in. Because remember, they still haven't quite gotten what Jesus is doing. Right, we've talked about that earlier in the semester uh, his, his disciples seem to still think that he's about to bring in an earthly kingdom. Like now, for them, now. And they don't seem to understand that first he's going to suffer, then his kingdom will look a lot different than they thought it would, then he's going to come again to judge the living and the dead, put things right, and start his eternal rule. And so they're all kind of arguing about, like, who's the best? And they get caught. <laughs> I love I love that in that passage in chapter 9, if you were paying attention to that. Um, right, they're arguing 
on uh, the road as they're talking with each other. And Jesus asked them what they were talking about. And, uh, you know, they all keep silent when he asked them, what, what were you talking about on the road? But they kept silent. They're like, oh, we got caught. Like instantly they kind of know, uh, this, uh, this doesn't look so good, right? Because they understand some of what Jesus has been talking about for the last two and a half, three years at this point. Um, they understand something of what's going on here. Um, but anyway, I want to I move on uh, to our first point. As we think about these people vying for positions of honor and uh, asking for positions of honor and authority and importance, we come to this question, how do we relationship and I hope that doesn't seem like an odd question from this text. I mean, I know the phrasing is odd, but uh, I think it has a lot to say about how we live in community with other people, how we live in the kingdom of God. Okay, so as we make our way to answering this question, I think it's actually really important first to define greatness. Right? Jesus says, if you want to be great, and that's what they're asking for, right? Who's the greatest, who's the greatest among them? is what they're arguing about. And then John and James come and ask, ask, essentially, can you make us great with you? Will you give us this greatness? Uh, so they want glory in Jesus' kingdom. To sit on his right hand and left hand and be great. So their thoughts are just taken up with this. And by way of uh, getting at his main point, Jesus, you know, he, he, he kind of flips this on its head. He quickly redefines greatness for them. He says, you want to be great? Well, good. Be a servant to everyone. That's how things work in the kingdom. If you want to be great, be a slave to everybody. Serve other people. Service is how Jesus defines greatness, right? I kind of wanted to call this talk tonight a race to the bottom. Jesus is pushing us towards serving other people. Um, so he redefines greatness for us as service toward other people. Uh, I want to talk about what that is and what it isn't, right? Uh, it can be lots of things. In, in fact, in, in one way, trying to define it in a narrow way is hard because uh, there are so many different contexts in which we can serve people. Whether it's an individual relationship or a group or a, a country or a church or, you know, your neighbors, like your literal neighbors in, in your neighborhood. Or right, there are just so many different capacities in which you can serve different individuals and groups. Um, essentially, though we have to recognize that it is to, to do for others what they need and even want. And there's something of a heart of sacrifice in that. So actually, tonight I'll, I'll kind of go back and forth between saying sacrifice and service. Um, please know that essentially I mean the same thing because sacrifice is at the heart of a, of a serving disposition. Okay, but there's a sickness in the Christian world in regard to greatness. Uh, 
probably you've heard people say things um, like, I just want to make lots of money to give to missions. That's actually a good thing. If you have said that, please don't think I'm like attacking you. But I think we have to always be aware of what we mean by that uh, and what we actually want, what is actually driving us in that. Maybe you've heard somebody say, I just want to sing for God's glory on a major label with sold out concerts, <laughs> right? Because I just think there's something so special about sold out concerts. And that can be fine too, actually, right? Like neither of those things are necessarily bad. Um, but we have to be aware of what's going on in our own hearts. I think frequently you guys hear a call to be great for Jesus, to be champions for Christ. Uh, and rather than attacking that, uh, I, I don't necessarily intend to do that. I think it's important that we know what exactly we mean when we think, when you think individually about like, what would it mean to be a champion? It would mean to serve other people at the expense of your own desires and needs. Um, maybe one last way to define what this is not, and I think we see this within our society, is uh, I just want to rule this country <laughs> to put things back in order, how God intends them. And yet here, isn't it funny that as two of Jesus' disciples come and basically ask for power, right? Like they want to be part of his kingdom in which things are going to be made righteous. Good will reign. Jesus says, guys, not, not power, service. Not power, but service. Um, you guys have probably heard of Mr. Rogers. I don't know if you've seen the documentary about him, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I just watched that like a month ago, and it was fantastic. Um, it's the actual documentary, so it's way more boring than the Tom Hanks movie. Um, but it's wonderful. And in it, uh, what's amazing is this guy who has had an, um, an just really huge impact on our country in a, in a pretty understated way uh, was doing something in the world that had to have been seen by most men his age as just silly. He was writing little jazz songs for five-year-olds and traveling around the country and just talking to kids, not their parents, the kids. Uh, you know, he was coming up with puppet sketches every day. And if you see this documentary, one of the amazing things about Fred Rogers is that he really did it because he just loved children and he thought children deserved adults attention and they deserve time and they deserve to learn. They deserved eye contact. They deserve to be told that they're special. Uh, don't get me started on being told you're special. That's a side thing. Clear delineations need to be made. But anyway, but he thought that that was important. And I've got to think that that's a lot more like the greatness that Jesus intends here, that he would actually receive a child with love and patience and speak to a child. When, if you guys have ever spent time with kids, that can be like a really hard thing to do. And in a world where people want power, that's like spending time with kids is like the last thing on your mind. Right? Do you know how many times you have to tell them the same thing over and over again? Um, and do you know how hard it is to not say no over and over again, but to like be constructive and 
uh, encouraging and help them form. Like it's really, really difficult. I have three kids and this is like one of the most impossible tasks, especially when there's more than one in the picture, right? Like it's so much easier to just be like, you stop it and you stop it, right? Taking time to, to get on your knees and like help them think through something when you know they're not gonna get it because they're five, that's way more difficult. But that's a lot more like Jesus' idea of greatness here. Okay, so um, <clears throat> again, that doesn't mean that uh, big things cannot glorify God. But it means we need to be aware of what we're actually seeking, what we actually want. And we need to understand that big things, as we tend to think of them, don't make us great. That's not what makes us great. Service makes us great in God's kingdom. Okay, so Jesus, and you're probably wondering, like, we're talking about greatness. I thought we were going to talk about how to relationship. So Jesus redirects the disciples away from greatness towards serving within relationships. This is the context in which he wants them to serve, is relationships with other people. Uh, you can't serve nobody. That doesn't really make sense. Um, so he redirects them from thinking about themselves and ruling over people, which is a type of relationship in itself, and takes them to serving others. Uh, so here's the thing. This, this isn't just about how we lead, right? Because I think that's easy to see in the text, that Jesus is giving some sort of instruction to his apostles who are going to lead the church. And we're actually going to talk about leadership as well in just a second. Um, but this is more generally about life in the kingdom of God. The way to healthy relationships is to serve others. The way to engage the power hungry and simultaneously hurting world around us is to serve it, to serve the people around you. Not to seek to get power over them, not to constantly be seeking to one up, but to serve them. Uh, a kind word or an act of service can be just one of the most disarming things in the world. And I don't know if you've ever experience that in a friendship or a relationship with a sibling or a parent uh, when maybe you're both really mad at each other and if somebody gains the clarity by God's grace to just kind of step back and say okay hold on um, I actually really care about you and I'm sorry that I've been saying the things that I said I really care about you what can I do to make this right it's really hard for the other party to just keep uh, belaboring their point. It's really hard for them to keep badgering the other person. Uh, this is one of the most powerful tools that we have. It's just simply serving others. Laying down our own desires. And like I said earlier, even needs. Because uh, sacrifice is at the heart of this. Jesus points his disciples to his own example. Throughout uh, these, these last several chapters, what has been going on is you have uh, teachings and then you have Jesus saying, here's what's gonna happen. I'm going to die. And then you have more teachings and then you have Jesus saying, I'm going to die. 
And then you have more teachings. And then you have the disciples arguing with each other about greatness. <laughs> and then you have Jesus say, no, you've got to receive children like the kingdom. You have to receive the kingdom like children. You have to serve others because even I came to serve other people. So he's pointing us to his own example here. And he's saying, I am sacrificing for you. See, sacrifice is necessary actually in any relationship. Um, it's impossible to have everything that you want to have in a relationship and leave the other person whole. If we actually want to love someone, if we actually want them to be whole, it's necessary that we give up something. One of the wonderful things about that is that when both people do it, and, and this is not necessarily a dating relationship or something, right? But when anybody does that in partnership with each other, uh, both people get something they didn't have before. And so Jesus gives us this amazing example in himself, but he also teaches us, uh, of course, that's not the reason that we do this. It's not the reason that we serve others, but that's what happens when we serve and are served. Okay, so um, Jesus continues to tell them, I'm going to die. Um, I'm going to die for you, and this is how I want you to live with each other. And this is how I want you to lead, right? He says uh, truly that if somebody is going to be the greatest or the first, they must be the last. And this has been a consistent theme. Actually, even as we finished reading that passage with the rich young ruler last week, that's how Jesus ends the teaching, is he says the first will be last and the last will be first. Right? And so there's this idea, again, that things get flipped on their head in this desire for greatness. And so he's speaking to people who are going to lead his church, who are going to rule his church when he has ascended into heaven. Okay, so how does this teach us uh, to lead? Well, it tells us this, serve. It's pretty simple. We could basically just move on to the next point. <laughs> if you want to lead, serve. If you want to be great in God's kingdom and not seek notoriety, not seek being well thought of or status or position or getting what you want by manipulating others or um, doing whatever it takes to reach your goals and your ambitions, right? If you want to love others, if you want to do something in God's kingdom, serve. That's what Christ-like leadership is, is to serve. Um, I thought here, I, I, I think a lot of us have experienced bad and hurtful leadership. And that can be at a family level. It can be at a church level, organizational level. Uh, Liberty is familiar with that. Um, and many, many people come from broken families and broken churches and broken schools and social structures. 
And so we've probably all had some sort of hurt from leadership. I mean, how often is a new podcast coming out about some pastor who's abused his authority and yelled at his staff and cheated people and cheated on people and right there's there's always something else coming out about a, a bad leader so i want to ask um kind of on the way it, with, within this point of how do we lead uh i want us to think about how do we recover from bad leadership that we've experienced because uh, i think that this text not only teaches us how to lead, but it gives us something to identify good leadership by and something to hope in. So I want to ask this first, how do we know when leadership is bad? How do you know when leadership is bad leadership? Well, this, if the leader won't serve, especially within a church context, if a leader won't serve, Something's going on there. And this is uh, first to give us markers to know what to avoid. And we'll come to how to really recover from that later. But so that we don't keep ending up as a church, uh, as congregations, as people under authority of any sort in these situations, we've got to be able to recognize if someone's not willing to serve, they're not being like Christ. What business do they have in leadership? Maybe you need to get out of there. Uh, or maybe you need to say something, right? There may be several responses to that, but that's, that's an easy way to recognize it. And then leaders that won't do what they ask of you. What is Jesus doing here? Well, once again, he's asking his disciples to pick up their cross and follow each other. He's redefining greatness, and he's doing it with his own example. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So you serve each other. He's doing himself what he has told his disciples to do. Okay, so how do we recover from bad leadership then? Uh, there are probably like 12 steps in therapy and all sorts of things to go through for this, depending on the setting and what you've experienced. Uh, and we're not going to get into all of that. Uh, it's, it's complicated. But I want to I cast this for you, how this passage gives us hope in a world that is experiencing so many broken relationships with leaders. We tend to, in American society, want to just throw off leadership become the leaders ourselves uh, and throw off leadership, do away with hierarchy and things like that. That's not actually what Jesus says to do. I, I don't think that's at all what we get from this text. What I think we do get from this text is that in pointing to himself as an example, uh, Jesus Jesus gives us hope because he's not just giving us an example. He's accomplishing something for us. He's being something for us. He's not just our leader. He's our savior. The way to heal and recover from the hurt of bad leadership 
is not to throw off all leadership, it's to keep following the right leader. Jesus is way different than anybody else you've ever known. Some of you have experienced hurt within the church and you know that in some way this relates to Jesus and it's kind of hard to say, but hasn't Jesus hurt me too? Hasn't he caused this? What has God done to me? Um, that, that's a discussion that is unfortunately probably too long to have from here right now. But this, what, is it, what does it mean to you that the leader of all leaders, the authority of all authorities, would sacrifice himself for you, would die? would give himself up for you. Okay, so that brings us uh, to our last point. Uh, so far, a lot of what we've talked about, um, I hope is not just advice or things to do, but some of it is, right? Within our relationships, we find this example in Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is our savior, but also our example. We have to have like both things in balance. Um, and so we, we have some things that I think we need to be looking to do and we have a, a posture to take with serving other people. Uh, but I think if you've been paying close attention and none of you have because it's hot in this room and it's late. Um, I think if you've been paying close attention, I almost hope that the question you're asking is this, is grace really free? I'm told all the time that grace is free, but I keep turning around and being told to do something else. Every time I turn a corner, there's something else to do. Maybe you're going like, I knew it. I knew there was something else to do. Okay. Um, I want to do my best to address that. Um, and we're going to start out here. If serving others, if serving others is a begrudging thing for you, if you do it because you know you have to, or if you don't do it at all, uh, if you try to get what you want from your roommates and your parents, maybe you pout uh, or you remind others what you've done for them in the past or you hold an agreement over them to get what you want. In other words, the way you do or don't serve others, uh, it reveals what you believe about God. All right, so... Stay with me. This is how we're answering the question, is grace really free? If you believe that God constantly requires more of you, all this grace stuff is, it probably sounds like a load of crock to you. Like you hear it all the time, but then you get the impression that there's always something else to do, to keep his favor or gain his favor, to have a good life, whatever it is. There's some other transaction to complete. Um, it may be this, it may be some way to dress or some way to talk or some way to vote. And maybe you think of God as the judgy old lady at church who's really nice when you first meet her. <laughs> but then the more you get to know her, you find out she's actually like really critical and really, really critical. And she pulls the strings in the social circles of the church to make everybody do what she wants. And soon she's got your, her clutches on you and 
right? Uh, you have no place there if you don't do what Miss Shirley wants or something, right? Like, that's the name of my aunt. She's not like that, but that's, I don't know why that came to mind. I was trying to think of an old woman's name, right? Uh, okay, so you were welcomed at first, but now you find there's all these other pressures to conform to something, to be, uh, to remain in good graces. There's something else to do. That's not how it works with Jesus, though. I think oftentimes uh, Christians give each other in the world that impression, but that's not how it works with Jesus. Uh, We're going to jump a little bit, but track with me. Uh, Being saved by Jesus is not just a transaction. Okay? Being saved by him is not just a transaction. There's not more to do. There never was anything to do to win God's favor or grace. Uh, To be saved by Jesus, it's the beginning of your renewal. It is the start of becoming who you were supposed to be. It's the return to real wholeness and joy. And wholeness and joy come in being like Jesus, in being remade, which starts even now as God works in, the, in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Even now we become more like Jesus and that's where we find real wholeness and joy. So what does it mean to be like him? Well, he tells us over and over in the book of Mark, I'm going to die, pick up your cross. I'm going to die for you, receive children. I'm going to die for you, look out for the poor. I'm going to die for you, serve each other. Never once does he say, do this to earn my favor. He says, I'm doing something for you. Now go do this. We misunderstand Jesus if we look at him and think he's just like everyone else, telling us what else we have to do for him. Pretending he loves us unconditionally, then giving us demands. We misunderstand him if we think that's the case. If we think of Jesus like that, or of salvation as being wrapped up entirely in just going to heaven. Um, We will miss that his call to live like him is loving. Jesus' call to serve others, Jesus' call to pick up our cross and sacrifice for others like him, it's an invitation to become what we are meant to be to find real wholeness and joy there. It is actually restoring and life-giving. It is a blessing to us to have this call on us. And by the way, if we uh, come to Jesus for salvation, we receive not only forgiveness of sins and eternity with God, but we receive immediately a call to follow him. The two always go together. So he graciously invites us into this new life of serving. And over time, he renews us and restores us and makes us more what we are meant to be. Okay, of course, the irony is that we cannot serve to be restored and renewed. Um, If we begin to serve others for our own good, we'll find that our service no longer requires 
us to sacrifice, right? It was our good that was the thing on the altar when we were trying to serve other people. But if serving other people becomes how we get life, or that's what we're seeking in serving other people, we will find that our service no longer requires our sacrifice. It requires others to sacrifice. And that's not service at all. Then we may start to look like those notorious pastors or become the type of friend who's no longer a loving and safe space for somebody else, but demanding and maybe even scary. Okay, so how do you avoid serving for yourself? How do you avoid just making this another self-centered thing you do? Well, here's what we come back, here's where we come back to the free grace thing. And I want you to know that um, no one does this or believes this perfectly, but this is actually what Christians believe, or at least what the Bible teaches, what we're supposed to believe. Uh, That when you don't have to bring anything to the table for God to love you, others will not have to bring anything to the table for you to love them. When there's nothing left to earn, there's everything to give. This is a way that we become able to serve people no matter what they've done, no matter who they are, no matter what history there is between us and them or our family and theirs or our people group and theirs or whatever it is. It actually is free grace that that does this in somebody. When there's nothing left to earn with God, nobody else has to earn anything from you. You begin to change in such a way that you start to act like Jesus and serve those who actually, maybe some of them love you, I hope so. I hope you have friends and family that love you. But you begin to serve people even who hate you. Um, in In the last way of putting this, I want to give one physical illustration of this. Uh, this is where faith and service meet, or faith, that, that way where, that thing whereby we receive God's grace freely for nothing, right? Like you've, you've heard people talk about faith before. This is where faith and service meet. This is how uh, service is not some way that we earn something from God. Uh, and this is how faith actually enables service. And it's this, uh, that faith and service have essentially the same posture, And it's this. It's this. That we would be ready with open hands and humility to receive what God has given. And that we would be ready to be given any task for another person. Faith and service have essentially the same posture. When you recognize you bring nothing to the table, when you realize that you can only receive, you become pretty willing to serve other people. And so it's actually in the gospel of free grace where we find a call and an ability to serve other people, even a desire. Uh, Let's pray. And then, um, that'll be it for tonight. We'll sing in a little bit.
And then that's it. Let's pray.